All right. You guys get that? Love is. See the handout? It's the name of the series. Not a smart man. Hey, welcome, everybody. My name is Ronnie. I'm on staff with H2O. Special shout out to H2O Akron. Um, joining us over in Akron, Ohio. Love what you guys are doing over there. Love what God is doing. Um, but good to be with you guys today. I'm excited to, to jump into this, this uh, second week of our series, Love Is. Okay, so we're in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 13. You guys can start turning there now in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's actually Bibles in the pews. Page 623 is where we're going to be. But 1 Corinthians, chapter 13. Um, I, I love the video, you know, kind of seeing these different things that our, our culture is saying about love, these different movies. There was one um, specific show in our culture I think was, was missing that I think deserves to be talked about for just a second, and it's The Bachelor. I don't know if any of you guys watch The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, but clearly just the epitome of, of what love is. You know, we shouldn't even sit up here and, and talk from the Bible. We should just watch The Bachelor and, and try to deduce it. I was, it was actually, it was on in the background the other day. We were walking around cleaning the house. Um, and I heard a, a girl on The Bachelor being, being interviewed, and this is what she said. She said, I am definitely falling in love with Nick. Okay, so Nick's the current Bachelor. And she's like, and now, now that I have this rose, I have assurance, assurance that maybe he feels the same way. <laughs> this is really going to take our relationship to the next level. That's what she said. That's what The, the Bachelor would say that love is. Okay, so... so not to hate on anybody that's watching The Bachelor, but if you really watch it, if you really see what's going on, it is a series of awkward interactions between a bunch of girls and one guy, a bunch of guys and one girl, and they edit it together. They give them all the same questions to talk about in this little back room, and then the way that they get us, the way the trick is they put this love music in the background, and they make montages of it, and they put it together for a season. And so I would like to submit to you guys today that The Bachelor is not where we should necessarily look to, to figure out what love is, but it is fun to, to talk about. Um, over Christmas break with uh, my, my family, my wife's family, and I, we went and saw a movie. This movie is called Collateral Beauty. Did anybody see that movie over break at all? Okay, so movie critics uh, did not like it, so I'm not sophisticated enough to really be able to follow all their arguments and find it. They didn't like it. They didn't think it was a very good movie, but I'm going to talk about it anyways because I think that this movie had its pulse on something in our culture as it relates to love that I want to I share with you guys just to introduce our, uh, our sermon today. And so in the movie, Will Smith was the main character. He's this guy named Howard. He's a successful marketing executive, this, this creative guy. And he's got all these dreams moving forward in his business, really influencing his company and the world. And, and he has this, this devastating um, thing happen in his life where he actually loses his, his daughter to cancer. And so can't even imagine that. And I know that there's, there's people in this room that, that have experienced loss like that. We've probably all experienced loss on some level. But Howard, he loses his, his daughter and, and the, the theme of the movie, as he's walking through it, he puts this idea out at the beginning where he says, there's really these three main components to life, love, time, and death. And he says, we all long for love, we want more time, and we fear death. And, and at the, the loss of his daughter, Howard really starts to feel betrayed by love. And, and the whole movie is based on how he starts to write these letters to, to love, time, and death as a way to cope. And so you kind of follow him through the grieving process. And as Howard grieves... He's writing these letters, he mails them um, to love, to time, and to death, and his friends that he works with start to realize that their company really can't go to the next level, their company might not survive because the founder, he's kind of become a recluse, he's, he's really not engaging with not only the business, but also his life, and so when they notice that he's starting to write these letters, they think, you know, as much as we, we love him and we want to help him, we really need to take control of this business, so they actually hire 
three different actors to be, one of them to be time, one of them to be love, and one of them to be death. And then they hire a private investigator that is going to film Howard interacting with these people to, to really to prove that he's crazy. And so as we follow Howard throughout the movie, he's written these letters as, as just a means to, to cope. The, the letter that he wrote to love, it just simply said, goodbye. That's all it said. He's kind of said, goodbye to love. Um, and, and in this interaction in the movie, he actually has a, an encounter with love, which is it's an actor. She says, I'm love. And so he thinks he's kind of seeing a ghost. It's kind of like uh, that, that movie at Christmas time with Scrooge and all those people. It's kind of a similar type feel to that. And in this, this conversation with love, Howard tells love that, that you know, you broke my heart. And, and I said goodbye to you. Love is really trying to press in and say, like, don't give up on me. And starts talking about his, his daughter and says, I was there in her laugh but I'm also here now in your pain. And then love says, I'm the fabric of life. I'm the only why. Howard, don't try to live without me. And so, so as Howard is, is trying to wrestle with, with love, time, and death, he's trying to wrestle with love, lost. He's written love, goodbye, but then love kind of presses in and says, you know, you can't live without me because I'm actually the fabric of life. I'm the, I'm the reason for everything that exists. And I know that, that many of us, even as we're in this series called love is. A lot of us have different uh, experiences with love. I'm sure that we've had experiences like in the, the movies that we're looking at, you know, really fun, lighthearted experiences. We've also had some heavy experiences like in the movie Collateral Beauty. We've had friends and family, uh, strained relationships, lost relationships, relationship with God, you know, a strained relationship with him. Maybe at, at times you feel like you're going to lose your relationship with him. And when you really trace out, whether it's The Bachelor or, or this movie Collateral Beauty or the, the movies that were in our, our bumper video, our culture is definitely communicating that love is, is essential, it's to be longed for, but it can be kind of elusive and, and kind of painful. But in our chapter that we're looking at, and in this whole book of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul has really been saying that, that not only is, is love essential, but it's possible. And that's what we're talking about in this series, Love Is, as we're looking at what the Apostle Paul said about love. And in chapter 16, as he closes out the book, he actually says, let everything that you do be done in love. And this has been, been challenging for me personally as I've wrestled with 1 Corinthians this whole year as we've been walking through it. And, and what we're seeing today in, in the book of 1 Corinthians is that the Apostle Paul has been, has been saying from the beginning, like Corinth, this church, he says, you guys are divided. You guys are, are fighting against each other. You're destroying one another. They were kind of divided over leadership. They were divided over specific emphasis of theology and how church should be done. They were also divided over spiritual gifts and, and how those should be practiced in the church. In chapter 8, Paul says, hey guys, knowledge, like understanding things rightly, that could actually puff you up and make you selfish, but love, it builds up. In chapter 14, immediately after chapter 13, he's going to tell them, in light of everything I just said, I want you to now pursue love. And like I already said, in, in chapter 16, the last uh, exhortation that Paul gives us in the book of 1 Corinthians is he says, let everything that you do be done in love. And so if you could sum up what Paul is trying to do in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, is he's basically saying, hey guys, God in his grace, he's given your church, he's given you spiritual gifts, he's given you leaders, he's, he's helped you to understand who he is in theology, he's given you a certain way that church should be practiced, and he wants all of those things he wants your gifts, your leaders, all these things to be used um, for the great purpose of love. He wants your, your gifts to be used for building up the church in love. And, and, and as Brian talked about last week, we saw that any other use of these gifts, any other use of your leaders for any other purpose besides love 
ends up being essentially useless and even wicked. And so Brian, he walked through verses 1 through 7 last week. In verses 1 through 3, we saw that Paul basically said that love is, is primary. You know, he said, said that anything else that, that you're doing, whether it's uh, speaking in tongues, prophesying, words of knowledge, those things are good, but they're not the primary thing. That's what verses 1 through 3 said. And then verses 4 through 7, he said that love is a lifestyle. And Brian explained that the word used for love there is this word agape, which is this word meaning God's unconditional love, like this supernatural love that comes from God. So verses 1 through 3, love is primary. 4 through 7, love is, is a lifestyle. It's something, it's an attitude of the heart. And verses 4 through 8 is what we're going to read today. And, and what we're going to see is that Paul says, love is forever. So at the end of that, that movie, Collateral Beauty, there's this kind of image that's been going on in the background throughout that they're trying to grab our attention with. And it's, it's this image of dominoes. And so as Howard is walking through the grieving process, he continually, the one thing that he does when he actually goes to the office is he sets up this big train of, of dominoes. It's a really beautiful thing, really elaborate. And then every time that it shows him, him doing that, and it does it again at the end of the movie, is he walks up and he just, he knocks the dominoes over, but then he walks away from it. And I was doing some reading on kind of what the importance of that is, and, and what it's trying to communicate is that love, time, and death really doesn't last forever. It's, it's impermanent. And, and the overall message of the movie was that in the end, love does fall apart, but the good news is that if we just kind of learn to accept that and be okay with it, then we can have just kind of this, this collateral beauty. Okay, that's where the, the movie gets its title. So as the dominoes fall, we get this image that, that love is, is not something that is forever, and that if we can just accept that and be okay with it, we can experience beauty and, and love, life today. What Paul says in, verse, in uh, chapter 13, what we're going to look at is that love actually does never end. And like he's been doing in the book of 1 Corinthians, he wants that truth, the, this truth that love is forever and that it never ends, to propel us as Christians, as, as a church, to a life of, of love and service for the world. So the big idea for today, guys, is this. We can build others up because love never breaks down. Okay, we can build others up because love never breaks down. Paul has, has taken a pause from talking about spiritual gifts to really emphasize love because he knows that until we understand love, until we understand that it's forever, until we understand that it never breaks down, we will never truly be able to build one another up in love. So let's look at the passage together. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 8. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Okay, so he starts off in that first couple words. He just says, love never ends. And the original word there, it, it's more than just ends. It means love never falls apart. Love never breaks down. Love never collapses. Okay, and so in those first couple verses, love never ends. And then the rest of what he's saying is he talks about prophecies. He talks about spiritual gift of tongues. He talks about spiritual gift of knowledge. He's saying all these other things will end. Love never ends. These other good things that we're going to talk about, they will end. 
So in verse 9 and 10, he, he kind of uses this image of wholeness. He says that these spiritual gifts that you guys are using and that you're dividing over, they're, they're incomplete. They serve a purpose, but the purpose that they're serving is, is love. Love is, is the wholeness to which those imperfect things are pointing. In verse 11, he used that analogy of like when I was a child, I spoke like a child, talked like a child, thought like a child. But then when I became a man, he's, he's talking about maturity, how we all grow up. And what he's saying is that the, the spiritual gifts that are causing you to destroy one another, to be selfish, to be boastful, to be arrogant, are actually to be used for love. And listen to this, love is, is full maturity. These spiritual gifts that you are using are meant to, to lead you into maturity, but instead you guys are acting immature like children. So guys, love is the most mature expression of what we were all meant for. In verse 12 of the first half of that, he says that one day we're going to see face to face. A couple of verses before, he said when the, when the perfect comes, all these things will pass away. And so, so love, even as we see just hints of it in, in our movies and in our relationships, we're coming to a day one day, guys, where we're going to see love face to face in its fullness, in its maturity. And that's what verse, verse 12, the second half, talks about as well. It says that we're coming to a time when we're actually going to know in full. So his, his big point, his big emphasis he's trying to put out, he's, he's talking about spiritual gifts, but he's really trying to use his talk about spiritual gifts to lift up love as, as primary, as a lifestyle, and as this thing that lasts forever. And we're actually going to do a whole series walking through uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 after spring break where we talk about some of these spiritual gifts. But just to, to really point out quickly, some people take this passage to think that spiritual gifts ceased when... Uh, Paul was writing this. So after the Bible was put together, we didn't need these, these uh, supernatural gifts such as prophecy, gift of tongues, gift of, of knowledge. That's not our view as a church. We would take that the spiritual gifts continue um, to this day because what it says is that when the perfect comes, we're not going to need them anymore. All these different spiritual gifts, all these things that are happening are meant to, to lead us to Jesus. And then when the perfect comes, when we come to him face to face, when Jesus comes back at the end of time, we'll no longer need those gifts. And so we'll get into that uh, in a couple weeks as we walk through that. But for our purposes today, just know this. He's saying that everything else is a means to an end. And that end is love. And so you see how silly it is that they were dividing and devouring and destroying one another over these things that were meant to be used to love one another. Okay? They were confusing the means with the end. And so Paul pauses here in chapter 13 to tell us, hey guys, love is, is forever, and I want that very truth, love being forever, to help you guys pursue a life of love. And so we're going to jump into to looking at what it actually looks like for us to pursue a life of love because love lasts forever. Okay, so love never ends, it never collapses, it never falls apart. We're to pursue it. Ephesians chapter 5 says we're to actually walk in love. It's to be our primary posture, our primary lifestyle towards one another and towards the world. Anybody of you guys play, play golf in here? I don't think we have a super big golf culture in our church. Only a couple of you. I don't play it either, but I know a couple things, okay? This came to me this week when I was thinking about what does it really look like for us to pursue love. So you can talk to me after if I, if I mess any of this up, you couple golfers in here. But there's basically two main uh, vantage points when you think about your golf game. You got the long game and you have the short game. And in the long game, that's driving, you know, and it's, it's all about distance. That's what the goal is. The short game, it's, it's putting, it's chipping, and your goal's a little bit different. It's more about precision and, and accuracy. And, and able to be a successful golfer, you've got to be really good in the long game. You've got to be really good in the short game. 
And I think in a similar way, it, to pursue a life of love, we have to be good in the short game and we got to be good in the long game. So let's talk about the short game for a second. The short game of love, walking in love. Here's, here's what I want to say. If love lasts forever, then love is never the wrong move. If love lasts forever, which is, is what verse 8 says, what Paul is telling us, then love is never the wrong move. And here's what I mean. There's, there's so many gray areas in our life. Um, I've, I've been wrestling with this in this series. I think in our, our political season, the, just the age of technology that we're in, where you can instantly go on Twitter or go on Facebook and say whatever you want and respond to whatever you want, um, there's so many complicated relationships that we're a part of, relational disagreements. I'm sure that, that if we pulled the room, all of you guys would raise your hand to say there's some area of your life right now, interaction with a coworker, interaction with a family member, where it's a little bit gray as to how you should respond. Maybe you're partially right and they're partially right. Or they're totally wrong, but they don't know they're totally wrong, and you're totally right, and you're trying to figure out what is the way that I should interact. Someone's blowing up your wall on Facebook saying all these things, and you just feel like it would just, you're debating, what should I do? Do I tell them the truth, and I tell them what's right? Do I not say anything at all? Do I do this gently? And I'm not here to work out all the individual details of our life. What I would say is this. In the short game, for us to pursue a life of love, because love's what ends up lasting forever, you're never going to be wrong if you pick love. You're never going to be wrong. You might have to swallow your pride to do it, but you're never going to be wrong if you choose to simply love in those situations, if you choose to simply build up in those situations. Verses 4 through 7 that Brian taught last week is a great grid for you to run through as you get to those gray, messy areas in your life where you're just not totally sure how you should respond to somebody if you respond, as verse 4 to 7 says, with, with patience, with kindness, with, with not envying or boasting, with not being arrogant, with really seeking the, what's best for the other person to build them up, you're not going to be wrong. Sometimes you might look crazy. You might, you, might look, you might feel a little bit insane. Somebody might tell you you're insane, but I would just tell you guys, what do you think it was like for Jesus? Was he wrong to go to the cross? Was it wrong when, when Jesus decided to be born of a virgin, when he decided to live a lowly life, when he decided uh, to, to shirk power and to walk towards the cross and be crucified? That looked insane to the people around him. It still looks a little bit crazy when we read it today. We're like, Jesus, why are you, you doing that? You know, sometimes I think like Jesus at the cross, it's like he could, he, he's all-powerful, he's God, he's all-knowing, he could have done whatever he wanted, but he just, he just stood there. And we know from the scriptures that he was choosing the way of love. And so when you approach your gray areas, when it's complicated for you in your workplace, in your classroom, in your relationships, I would just submit to you guys, it, it was far more complicated for Jesus. And he pursued love. He was patient. He was kind. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so I just want to help you guys with that. Are you playing the short game of love? Are people being built up around you? Or are they being torn down in your daily interactions with them? There should be a little bit of a twinge of death whenever you actually make that choice because it is, it's a dying to yourself. That's a short game, but, but what about the long game? If love lasts forever, then only what's built with love matters. Okay, in the long game of love, as we walk in it, if love is what really lasts forever, then only what we build with love matters. And here's what I'm talking about. I, I'm thinking about just your, your big plans, the vision that you have for your family, the vision you have for your, your company. As If you're a student right now, the things you're thinking about as you work towards a career, 
as you're thinking about building a life, as you're thinking about building influence with people, if you build all of that with love, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, and for the goal of love, for the goal of, of building up and serving the world, then that is going to ultimately matter. Because remember, love is forever, and it's the only thing that's going to be left standing in the end. I do think that there's just a lot of, of pointless activity that we do as people because we don't do it in love. Um, I was thinking, guys, I don't know if you struggle with this too, but trying to put away my, light, my wife's laundry for her, is, it's, just, it's a total exercise in futility. And here's why. I am so confused as to what all these different articles of clothing actually are. There's things that look like dresses, but they're really shirts. There's things that, that look like pants that end up being scarves. There's, there's things that, that I actually do correctly identify whatever it is, but then I just don't know what, which drawer it's supposed to go in. Apparently the floor is like one of the drawers in our bedroom where things of, of hers are allowed to go sometimes. That's the easy, easy one for me. But when I look, there's a, there's a pile of laundry on our room right now, and I look at that, it's not that I can't physically do something. It's not that I can't put it somewhere. It's not that I can't move it and, and be active. But it's pointless because I, I just have no idea where any of it is supposed to go. Okay, and in a similar way, guys, as we seek to, to build our, our lives, as we seek to build your, your business, your career, your family, your friendships, build uh, in leadership in the church, what Paul's been saying here is that, that if we don't do it in love, if we're not building things up in love and for this, this ultimate goal of, of loving God and, and loving people, then what we're doing is pointless. It's not that things won't happen. It's just that things that matter won't happen. So in Corinth, right, all these spiritual gifts, all these things that they were doing, all these arguments they were having over leaders, it's not like they weren't active. They were very active, but it wasn't building anything up. And he says, you're nothing. So, so good news, a Christian who, who simply just loves and has no other really flashy external thing about them is infinitely more significant and faithful to the mission of Jesus than a Christian who does everything and is super gifted and, and has a lot of accomplishments but isn't building any of it in love. That's challenging. That's challenging for those of us that, that are driven, but, but if you're not a, um, a leader in the church or something like that and you're, you kind of don't view your primary place of influence in the church, what about just your vocation? What about what you're doing as, as, a, as an educator, as a teacher, as a businessman, a politician, an accountant, an artist, you know, fill in the blank? All those things that God wants us to have great ambitions for, he still says, not just in the church, but outside of the church, in your vocations, as Christians, we need to be building those things up in love. We need to be building people up around us. And so my challenge would just be, guys, we, don't, we never arrive until we love. Never arrive until we love, no matter how gifted you are. Are you playing that, that long game of love when you think about your career and, and your family? When you think five years from now, here's a good way to think about it. Think five years from now, you think ten years from now, after all that you will have hopefully accomplished, who comes out on the other side of those accomplishments as, as bigger? You and your ego or the people around you that you were, you were trying to serve? So your family, with your, with your children, five years from now as you've raised them the best that you can raise them, do you come out of that on the other end feeling awesome and that everybody can look at you and feeling puffed up like the Corinthians? Or do they look bigger and, and well-served and mature because you poured your life out in love for them? 
And this isn't easy. I've been, I've been really, like I said, I've been wrestling with this because I'm like, man, does this mean that we just, we walk around and we just hug and agree with everybody? And so we're just always smiling. If someone says something we don't agree with, if we think that they're actually in the wrong, do we just, does pursuing love mean we just kind of like, man, I'm supposed to not be mean because that's what the Bible said and I just, I just hug you? I don't think so, because if you look at 1 Corinthians, Paul is, is really disagreeing with a lot of what Corinth is doing. He's telling them that you need to build up your church in love, and he's doing the same thing in his letter. And so to pursue love doesn't mean you don't correct people. It doesn't mean you don't critique people. It just means that you do it out of love. You don't correct and you don't critique people to build yourself up and make them feel silly and stupid, but you actually protect, uh, correct, critique challenge, confront people, all for the sake of, of their ultimate benefit, so that they would grow up and be more like Jesus. It's taken that posture of, of, chapter, of verses 4 through 7, being patient with people, kind, humble, selfless, not looking to put others in your debt when you challenge them and, and when you seek to, to correct them on something, enduring with people, hoping for the best in people, really expecting the, the best in, in our brothers and sisters in Christ and, and believing the best. And I do feel a, a tension with this, and, and maybe you guys are noticing it. One thing I love about what, I, what I'm seeing here is that it's really simple, and I like that. I love that Paul just said, okay, let me make it simple, guys. Last words, let everything you do be done in love. I feel relieved that it's just as simple as that. If I just keep it simple, if I just build everything I'm doing in love for that ultimate goal of love, then I'll be good. But I'm also stressed out because it sounds like death to me. Sounds like a life of, of picking up my cross and following Jesus. You guys familiar with the, the term hangry? You guys know what, what it is to be hangry? So to be hangry means that, that you're so hungry that you're getting angry. And, and I, I love to eat. I love food. Um, I oscillate a little bit between like hangry or just like totally shutting down and, and withering away. But when you think about what's happening with, with, uh, with being hangry is you know, for me, if I have a, just a bacon cheeseburger in front of me, brioche bun, uh, guacamole, avocado, bacon on there, lettuce, oh, and I've got this just one, and I'm hungry, and this is right in front of me, and this is all I have, if you ask me for a bite of that, no, <laughs> it's not going to happen. I can't afford to do that. I'm so hungry, and this is what I love, but if there's like 20 of these, of these burgers and, and you come up to me and ask if you can have one, absolutely, yeah. I'm going to be taken care of, you're going to be taken care of, and everything's going to be good. But, but guys, the, the tension I feel when I think about having to, to love other people for the rest of my life and to build everything I'm doing in love is, is I have a real hunger for approval, a real hunger for success, possessions, accolades, recognition, security, and, and those things actually aren't bad. We just, we're kind of created with this hole in us that we need to be filled. And so we're all actually a little, a little spiritually hangry where we, we need these things. And it's not bad that you need these things. But I think the reason we feel tension with love is we really do have this kind of scarcity mindset. In the same way that there's only, there's only one cheeseburger, like don't touch it, and it's kind of this scarcity mindset. If you're unloving, if you're characteristically unloving, if you, if you feel this tension with being loving like I do, it's because we have a scarcity mindset with love but what do we just learn in, in verse uh, eight love never ends right love is forever love is eternal another way you could put that is that love is not a limited resource love is not something that's in scarcity love never ends it never collapses never falls apart it never breaks down and the question is why 
Because God is love. You guys have heard that verse before. God is love. Think about this. Love is eternal. Who else is eternal in the Bible? God, right? God's eternal. Love is eternal. The Apostle John in, in uh, 1 John puts it together. He says, hey, just so you know, God is love. He doesn't say God has love. He doesn't say there's God and then at a certain point in time he decided to be loving. It says the essence of who God actually is is that he is love. So as long as God has existed, which is forever, love has existed because God is love. And so what we need to do, if we actually want to pursue love before we could ever do that, because we're so spiritually hangry, is we actually need to receive the, the unlimited, endless love of God. And that's what I want to turn to now with you guys. Before we can give love, we must receive love. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, it says it like this. It says, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So the order there, it says, as beloved children, as children that are already loved, then you are to now go and walk in love. And I think there's two reasons why we, we struggle with this. While we'll say things like, like God's love is forever, but then still struggle to live a life of love. Number one is we think that God's love is, is limited by his capacity. We think that, that God's love is, is limited by his capacity. And let me tell you about the, the Trinity. Let me tell you about who God is and why God's love is not limited by his capacity. So God has existed forever as, as God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. Now there's things about that that are so complicated we'll never understand, but there's one thing we do know for sure about what the Trinity means. It means that God has existed in a relationship forever. God has existed in not just a relationship, but a loving relationship forever. And so before you were born, before anything was ever created, Genesis 1-1, before anything that is made was made, God was existing as love. He was in relationship with himself, honoring and glorifying with the Father loving the Son, the Son loving the Father, the Spirit loving the Son, the Spirit loving the Father, the Father loving the Spirit, all in this relationship. And what God did in creation is he actually invited us into that love with him. Look at what Jesus says and how he explains it as he's praying to his Father. His Father, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. So, so this love, this glory that, that we have, I've, I've given to them. That they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me. That they may become per perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. You guys know what this means? This means that God has not rationed us on his love. His love pre-existed you. He, he's shared love in and of himself forever and by creating you and then by saving you, he's actually just invited you into that. I was talking to my, my wife the other day because we're, we're expecting a son in June and I was like, Caitlin, are, did we decide to have this kid because we wanted someone to, to serve us and we, we needed help around the house? I mean, I think that that's a good going to be a good part of his maturation. I think that's a good byproduct. But, but my, my wife and I, we did not sit out and go, man, we're, we're struggling. We need help. We, we need somebody to, to really help us out in this thing called life. So you know what? We're going to create a child. We're going to create a servant. We didn't do that. You know what we actually did is, is, is I love my wife. She loves me. We both love God. And there's just all this love going on. And then you just have these moments. You're like, man, we should 
we should, we should share this with somebody else. I want somebody else to, to get in on this. I want somebody else to experience the love that me and you already have with one another. So we, we decided we're going to create somebody else. We're going to create, he's going to be a son, and he's going to be born in June. And when my son is born, he's going to be totally inadequate. He's not going to have a ton to offer. He's going to have not a great track record at the start. He's been pretty disobedient in like the ultrasounds and all these things. But, <laughs> but my love for him, my wife's love for him, it actually pre-exists his existence. We were dreaming about him, and I'm dreaming about my, my little girl one day, and all these things before they've ever done anything for me. And all I'm doing is I'm inviting him into the love that we already have for him. Guys, God's love is not limited by his capacity. It's, it's abundant. He's not rationing you. You can receive it abundantly, and you see how this connects to your ability to now go in love. There's a billion cheeseburgers, right? It's not the best analogy, but you, you don't need to, you don't need to, to guard yourself Second thing is, is God's love is not limited by our sin. Guys, God's love is not limited by our sin. Look at, look at verse 12 again with me. The second half. Paul says, Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So he's saying, currently right now, I know things about God in part. I, I barely know. I know some things that are true, but it's, it's just not totally true. But he says, but God has already fully known me. He already fully knows everything about me. God's not learning new things about us as we do them. Every time we do something good or do something bad, God's not surprised. He's not learning something new about us. We've already been, been fully known by him. And so here's, here's where this matters. God's love for you predated your sin. God's love for you, God's decision to, to save you, to die for you, to, to set his love on you, to create you, actually was all before he already knew everything that you would ever do. And so that means when, when you became a Christian, God didn't give you a, a second chance to try to do it better. He didn't give you a fresh start because you know when you got the fresh start, you messed up 10 seconds later, even if it was just in a thought. This is not what it means to become a Christian. It means God wipe your slate clean forever. It means that God's love that has always existed, he chose to set that on you in spite of your sin, despite your sin. And that's why Jesus went to the cross. That's why it's called grace. The reason maybe that doesn't calculate in your brain is because it, it's not fair. It, it's not. It's unmerited favor, unmerited love from God. So his love for you is abundant, it's not scarce, and it cannot be affected by your sin. And that is the gospel, guys. That's the gospel. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. You know, because love has always existed, it's always existed, God, he demonstrated this love for you in this, that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. The, the words that they use to describe love in, in chapter 13 is that it never collapses. And I can't help but think, you know, love, it never collapses because Jesus on the cross, he, he collapsed instead. Our, our sin mounts up, our wickedness mounts up, our disobedience mounts up, and we just feel like at a certain point, God's love for us should just fall apart because of all these things that we're doing. We think that our sin should actually destroy and counteract his love. But what we see at the cross is that Jesus Christ, he was broken apart, he collapsed, he was broken instead. He was broken for your sins so that God's love could come to you. Nothing's going to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So Christians, this just means we need to continually receive God's love. We need to continually receive God's love. If Paul is trying to tell the Corinthians, you guys need to pursue a life of love, the, the prerequisite 
for us doing that is we need to continually receive this love. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian right now, if you're exploring, I'm so glad and so thankful that you're here to hear about the God that loves you. And the only limiting factor between you receiving that love between, before you become a Christian is just to, to receive it. it. It's possible to love somebody who's not reciprocating. It's possible for, for you, this typically happens in college where a guy loves a girl or a girl loves a guy, and, and nothing's going to happen until both of those people agree. The one person receives love and they enter into a relationship, and so it is with, with God. For you, if you're, if you're not a Christian, God isn't deciding whether or not he's going to love you based on how you respond to, to thinking about Christianity. His love actually existed for you before you existed. The only limiting factor is you coming to him and receiving it. And so I would just ask all of us, are, are you walking around believing that God's love has run out on you? Are you refusing to receive God's love because you think your sin is too great? And because of those two things, if you look out at the, the short game of love in your life, the long game of love in your life, are you, are you struggling to, to, to build a life through love and for love because you're, you're maybe not believing one of those two things? And so Paul, guys, in this passage, just to recap, he's saying, don't you know that love is forever? Don't you know that, that love is eternal? Pursue it. Receive it. We can build others up in love because love never breaks down. And I'll conclude with this. So just really been, been studying this passage and been, been trying to just wrestle with, like, if Paul is just so adamant on Corinth being united and he wants them to love, like, why is he spending this time here to, to just unpack how eternal love is. And I think we kind of all have, have this wrestle with, with love. In the, in the movie Collateral Beauty, Will Smith, there's this scene where he's on a subway. And I, think, I don't think he's talking to love. I think he was actually talking to the person who was supposed to be death in this. And as they're, as they're talking, um, death, obviously, who's, uh, you know, his, his daughter had died. So he's having this argument with death. And death starts to kind of repeat these um, kind of romantic uh, religious, diff different statements about love and about how it's going to be okay. And Will Smith's like, I've heard all this stuff before. I've been in church. I've heard the poems. I've tried all the different religions. And then, and then he's like, but it doesn't matter because she's not holding my hand. He's like, I know all these things about love. I know all this, these words. I've heard it. I've seen it. But as I sit here in my grief, as I sit here um, in my pain, it doesn't matter because she's not holding my hand. And I wonder if any of you guys wrestle with, with love, because um, I think that, man, we've, we've looked at some amazing things today, but it is, it is these, these words, and they're, they're God's words, and I hope that they're, they're powerful to you, but you're going to leave here, and you're going to go throughout your week, and you're going to go throughout your life, and you're going to have to try to really fight to, to believe these things, and there's going to be moments where you're going you're to be like, man, I, I remember that teaching, I remember those words, but but I'm really struggling to, to build this whole life of love and to receive all this love because it's just, it's, it's, it's not holding my hand. You know, the, the, the intimacy isn't there. And so with, with my wife, one of the things, um, I'm just not like an on-the-phone talker kind of person. I don't know what it is. I don't know if something's wrong with me, but I just have never enjoyed talking on the phone. And so she'll call me when she's on, on her way home from work sometimes. And it's not that I don't love her. It's not that... I don't want to even like talk to her. It's just something about being on the phone. I'm like, it's just not as personal. It's just like, you know, you're on 20 minutes away. Let's just get home. Because when she gets home, it's like, I just want to, physical touch is like one of my love languages. I just want to 
grab her when we lay in bed at night. I, I annoy her because I just get like right up to her face and I just want to grab it and look at it and just, just see it face to face. And it's just this, this personal interaction. Paul says in, in, in verse 12, he says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we're going to see face to face. Right now, as you interact with this truth about God's love for you, it is, it is a million percent true. But even now, even as Paul was writing this, it says we only see in a mirror dimly. What he's saying is, in, the, in those days in Corinth, they would make these mirrors and they, were, they weren't like super well done. And so you'd look in it and it was like you could see, but you couldn't really see. And even what you were seeing wasn't the real thing, but just a reflection. And in the end, when it comes to, to us and God and us and God's love, right now we only see in a mirror dimly, but, but we're coming to a point, guys, where, where Jesus, he's on his way home. He's driving home. It's like we're talking to him through the phone right now. It's like it's real, but it's not real. It's not as satisfying as it's one day going to be, but love is eternal. He's on his way home to us. Right now we see in a mirror dimly, and so I would encourage you to persevere in this life of receiving and pursuing love. Because one day he will hold our hand, guys. Let's pray.